Welcome to the My Personal Football Coach Youth Soccer Player Development Podcast, episode 35 with Tom Hounsell. Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. Hi guys, welcome back to another show. Uh, this show's coming live from Thailand, uh, on location here, uh, out here for a month working with some clubs and some players. Been fantastic, uh, but fortunately enough, uh, managed to get some time to put get some uh, interviews in as well. So, uh, so really looking forward to this one. This one's uh, really good. Um, before we get into it, though, I just want to say a big thank you to everyone who's out in Chicago at the United Soccer Coaches Convention. Uh, really great, great to meet so many people out there. Uh, great to get lots of more clubs on board. Uh, pleased to announce as well getting um, LA Galaxy Orange County on board as a partner club. Uh, LA Galaxy Orange County are taking advantage of our pro club package. So uh, not only do they all the players get on the My Personal Football Coach Dynamic Ball Mastery app, all the coaches get the app and the coaches pass as well. But also now uh, what I'm going to do is as part of the pro club package, I fly out. I'm going to fly out to L.A., uh, film some of their players doing their challenges to populate the app with their with their own players. So that really helps with engagement. So the pro club package really does now uh, completely individualize the app. It's almost completely white labeled. So really excited about that. Uh, lots of other clubs coming on board as well. Uh, looking forward to doing a lot more traveling. Uh, in in the months to come uh thanks also everyone for the feedback about the the my personal football coach level one ball mastery and 1v1 e-learning course uh been really positive uh now added a fifth unit to that course so i've got uh full sessions uh that i've done myself uh, a couple of sessions that i've done up at wolverhampton wonders academy uh 1v1 session and a defending session uh to, to just to really help see uh some of the key principles of ball mastery and 1v1 uh these these two major themes used at the top academies in world soccer so if you're interested in ball mastery and 1v1 uh, make sure you check out the uh the my personal football coach level one uh, ball mastery and 1v1 uh his uh one of our partner clubs here in london uh tfa um really proud that they he's now actually um got the the course for all of his coaches so here's a little bit of uh, charlie t- telling us a little bit about uh, how he found the uh, the my personal football coach level one hi i'm charlie from the tfa i found the my personal football coach level one course really beneficial to really understand how to coach young players it's really easy to engage with and very insightful I'm now getting it for all of the coaches at our club to help upskill them and improve the quality of delivery for the kids throughout TFA. I would definitely recommend it. So there you go, guys. If you're interested in just to find out if you want to, if you're, you know, if you're a coach or you you work within a club, uh, you know, you want to find out how that the My Personal Football Coach Level One can uh, really help take your coaching game to the next level. Just uh, drop me a line. Uh, the Dynamic Ball Master Program is going from strength to strength. Uh, we're just in the midst of doing another rebuild to the app. Uh, some fantastic new additions coming to it, which I'm really excited about, which is going to make it even better. So uh, really excited about to, to bring you all that news in the, in the next few weeks. Uh, but uh, now back to the show and uh, got a great guest on, uh, Tom Hounsell. Uh, Tom's a, a coach at Fulham FC's Academy, uh, one of the best academies in England, a prolific 
producer of talent for for Fulham's first team and professional teams all over the country and also the England national team so really excited to get Tom on uh, Tom's also an academic works at St Mary's University so good to get someone who can who's who bridges that gap between uh, research and practice I mean I don't call myself uh, academic I was fortunate enough to do a master's in education so I really am interested in research but obviously as we all know um, you know, there's a lot of research coming out, a lot of noise, and sometimes that doesn't marry up to the practice. So great to get Tom on board, who's an, a great coach, uh, to bring his experience and his journey on it. So uh, bring some real, real interesting elements uh, to the debate. So I know you're going to enjoy this one. So uh, without further ado, let's get into the show. So Tom Hounsel, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Uh, can you give us a, little, a brief um, description of your playing and coaching background, please? Uh, yeah, so I uh, originally uh, grew up uh, in Dorset, in the, in the West Country, really. Um, played for a couple of different different clubs, but, um, you know, I was at Bristol Rovers for a little bit and, and sort of jumped around to, to, other, to other clubs down there um, from sort of a playing perspective and then decided to come up to London, go to university and uh, then worked for... Fulham's foundation really for, for a number of years um, and then at the same time got a job with AFC Wimbledon in their academy um, and then I moved from AFC to, to Fulham's academy whilst sort of still doing some of the foundation work before then um, keeping my job with Fulham in the academy and then and then uh, taking a job at St Mary's University as a lecturer. And then so just so you progress from Wimbledon to Fulham right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so how long have you been at Fulham now? Uh, my third season at Fulham. Third season. Um, in the YDP, yeah. Wicked. Okay, cool. So just, um, how did that first academy job come about then at AFC Wimbledon? Just a little bit about that. Yeah, I suppose a um, little bit of little bit of who you know, really, I suppose. I had a, a friend who I was working with um, on the sort of college program at the foundation who was working at Millwall. Um, then there was... There wasn't really, a, I suppose there wasn't really a job opportunity at Millwall, but I was really keen to get into academy football and, and he was working there at the time. So sort of went, went down there and, and did a couple of sessions, um, but sort of was sort of told, look, we haven't really got an opening, but, you know, we think there might be something here for the future. Um, and then Millwall actually put me in touch with, with AFC Wimbledon and said, look, there's a, there's a role going at AFC Wimbledon, maybe you should, should apply for that. And... Uh, you know, so I did, and, and that was sort of, sort of me for me for two years, really. So it's a bit thankful, really, that there was some good people out there willing to sort of help me on my journey, so to speak. And what was that like then? Tell us a little bit about that first, your first academy role. I mean, what was that? You know, what was that like in terms? Of, was it quite daunting? I mean, how did you? What was the difference between coaching at that level and the stuff you've done in the community program? Yeah, I mean, I suppose uh, with the, the community stuff. You know, originally that was um, that quite traditional, like after school clubs, Saturday morning clubs. Um, but that sort of evolved into uh, a college sort of college program, and I'm I'm really thankful for that that opportunity, really, because we were lucky that you know we were coaching eleven v eleven every day. You know, we could sort of create our own sort of you know syllabus, so to speak. We could periodise in the way that we wanted to. And we had a really great group of lads who really wanted to um, work hard and almost try and, you know that sort of second chance thing and get back into the back into the pro game so you know we, we had 
uh, we, we coupled with a non-league team, we entered the FA Youth Cup and it's probably those experiences I think that helped really helped me um, you know, develop my understanding and, and working with players. Um, so I had that, that exposure probably alongside working within an academy and I suppose the best thing about working at AFC Wimbledon is they're just, they're very happy for you, happy for you to make mistakes. It's just very much a, a great club to go and uh, get some experience really. I think there's some great people there who are really happy to support people, you know, you and your in your coaching journey, so to speak, and, and just question you in a way that doesn't seem particularly daunting or, or critical, but try to get you to think about why you're doing what you're doing, which is which is really good. Um, you know, the one thing that struck me the most at AFC Wimbledon is was the people, um, not just the the coaches, but the parents, the players, um, just all really, all really great people, and no, no one really who um, ever seemed to cause any sort of tension, I suppose, but we're just very much happy to support in that sort of longer micro goal of, you know, trying to trying to achieve, you know, allow their players, their their sons or, you know, themselves to move on to the next to the next part of, you know, transitional phase within the academy. So, yeah, I, I suppose any sort of fears or that I did have very much were were put to rest pretty quickly just because of the environment that was created. So tell us a little bit about then your role then as as the 15s coach there. It was 15s, right, you did there? Is that right? So I did uh, 13s and 14s at AFC. Sorry, 13s yeah. or 14s. So then yeah. give, us a, give us a typical working week for yourself at AFC Wimbledon doing the 13s and 14s. Um, so, yeah, originally, so very fortunate that I got to work with the same group over sort of two years. I really enjoyed the fact that, that I was given that opportunity. Um, but it would, it would basically be um, sort of three training sessions a week um, and then sort of match day at the weekend. And, and obviously, you know, resources is very different to, I suppose, what I'm accustomed to do now. So, um, one of those one of those sessions would be, you know, sort of under under a floodlight uh, on a grass pitch on a Thursday, which is always testing because you know, kick the ball out of kick the ball <laughs> kick the ball away from the practice. You know, you're in complete darkness. So, uh, all the best, <laughs> never too sure when the lads went out there to collect a football whether they're going to come back or not. I suppose, but. Um, we, I think those experiences really help develop players. I suppose really, really grounds the players, makes them really hungry, and um, it almost it, the players almost absorb that and go, well, "Do you know what? You know, we, we can cope with anything." Um, so I suppose we had, we you know we had sort of Tuesday was more had a more of a technical focus. Uh, Thursday was then you know you pick your, your time on the grass and then. Uh, Friday, sort of out of Tuttle Mitchum on the Astro, and that's probably where I did the most amount of sort of tactical stuff in the week. So I suppose if you think about it, it was like quite tight and technical on a Tuesday, sort of more um, sort of a medium-sized area, and um, more stuff like sort of possession-type stuff on a, on a Thursday. And then Friday, really like some tactical stuff, but ready for the Sunday. And so, um, um, did they? Did the boys have day day release there? On the 13s and 14s? Uh, not at that time, uh, no, no. So they, they just came in for their evening evening and, session. So. And tell us a little bit about what was the what was at the time the, the philosophy of the club, the playing philosophy? Yeah, so very much. Um, I still I still think it was like it's very I suppose what's quite popular um, everywhere really. It was like 
you know, we want to play through the thirds, uh, we want to play out from the back, you know, we want to have a high press, um, you know, we want to play 4 3 3. Um, and and that, that didn't really, so that didn't really ever waver either. Um, again, you know, the, the pro games program for a Cat 3 team is very varied because I think you have, you know, you play your other Cat 3 teams quite regularly. Um, and then you know, mix into that will be exposure to sort of cat twos and cat ones. And well, that, um, was, that was going to be my next question. So, for instance, you're playing a, you're playing a Chelsea. Um, yeah. Would your would your playing would you change the way the boys playing considering you know you're 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 playing against a big cat ones club? No, I don't think so. And I think it's about you know, I don't ever think I don't think ever think that particularly at the club that it's. Um, it's you know it's, you know it's Dean the whole you know we're playing at Chelsea I think yes they really relish the test but I think if anybody's ever you know particularly now when, when we just play FC Wimbledon um, it's always a really difficult challenge because um, I think they're highly motivated to sort of prove that they're you know we might be you know, we might only be you know a little FC Wimbledon but we're here to we're here to really come and test you and I think that's that was always the case. Um, and I think particularly, um, you know, with with sort of head of coaching and um, under 18s coach, you know, it was it was, you know, this is what we want to, this is what we're trying to do, this is what we're developing the boys for, you know, we want to try and test ourselves against, you know, the perceived better um, academy. So yeah, it didn't didn't really ever waver really, um, and I think that's why, you know, at times they get, you know, from a success perspective on that one day, you know you'll often see them picking up results against cat ones or cat twos. Interesting. And, and tell us a little bit about then, you know, practically, I mean, as a coach, did you, were you working from a curriculum? Um, how much freedom did you have in terms of session design? I mean, what, was, what did that look like at AFC Wimbledon? Yeah, so there was a, there is a, you know, there was a really, uh, there was a curriculum and what was really nice is that, you know, from a, from a new phase, you know, we, we were able to sit down and sort of review that and, Understand what you know was important to us at what what times. Um, so yeah, like a loose skeleton framework really, and then um, certainly had a lot of freedom to design practices in the way in which you wanted to. I think it was also good for there was almost you know that element of constructive criticism where you know if you, you're putting on practices in certain ways, then you have to be willing, I think, as a coach, to be able to rationalise those and justify those. And I think as long as you as long as you can, as long as you're in a position where you you know why you're doing what you're doing, I don't think anyone will ever necessarily question question what that is. I think I suppose that the sticking point comes when you're doing something, but you can't really rationalise or justify why you're doing it, um, or you're doing it for different reasons than you know trying to develop the players or whatever. So yeah, definitely had like free reign, and um, I suppose I coming from. Coming from you know coming out of St Mary's is you know one of the hubs for teaching games for understanding. I I had a very much like a games focus, particularly when I was fresh out of university. It was like you know I want to I want to really develop my understanding of this stuff I've just been taught at university. So tried to do as much as that sort of as I could through games. And I suppose you know we I had a, probably a bit of an internal battle, particularly on a Tuesday when we had more like isolated technical practices you know I would sort of question you know why are we doing these and I think um, the sort of head of coaching under Ian's coach who, who was there you know um, 
Jeremy, who's academy manager and stuff, that they, they'd be able to rationalise why they think it's important. And I think if you're going to go and work for a club and people can tell you why they think it's important for those their players at that time, then you have to respect that. Um, and so probably I also began to sort of open up a little bit and begin to go, well, do you know what, this might not work for everyone all of the time, so I might, have to, I might do some of this stuff to really um, develop the players in different ways for different reasons. Um, you know, and fair, you know, for those guys, they've had a lot of success recently of players transferring into the the first team who, you know, were at that, you know, who are either in the 14s, 15s, 16s, 17s at, at, that, at that time. So, yeah, really sort of really pleased to have been able to sort of understand what it is that they do and then now be able to see, you know, players who, you know, like Toby Civic comes off the bench and scores into West Ham in the FA Cup, you know, it's... They're cool moments, right? Yeah, I mean, we're going to come back to that um, academic debate a bit later. Uh, I just want to just want to just go just talk, concentrate on uh, Wimbledon at the moment. But just um, tell me a little bit about then, um, just as as a club being at AFC Wimbledon. I mean, uh, sandwiched between Fulham and Chelsea, you know, and these these big clubs. What was that like um, in terms of like recruitment? Was it quite a lot of pressure keeping the better the players? I mean, and you know, and facilities in terms of that. Looking back, obviously, you're now working at Fulham. What was that? What yeah. was that whole experience like? Yeah, I definitely think from you know, wherever your goals are, going to be affected by the resources you have available. And I think the one thing that um, the one thing I think they do really well is they develop a culture which people really buy into. So whether you're working at the club or you're a player at the club, you really love. The environment that you're in, um, I think people work really hard for for their badge, if that makes sense. Um, and I think because of that, they almost differentiate themselves slightly from, um, you know, between you know between the other cat ones that they're sort of sandwiched by from a location perspective. Um, and I don't think they, I don't think they're ever that cautious to think either. So you know, they'd be happy to go and play their best players against. Um, against you know the cat ones, without really any fear that their you know their players might be you know turned to maybe go and go and join those other clubs. I think naturally it's going to happen on occasion. Probably been some um, been some like you know Pat Roberts for example who moved from one to the other. There's always gonna, those things are always going to happen. I think, but they're willing to go. Do you know what we're we're proud of our program and hopefully the players see that it's worthwhile buying into. Um, and I think, well, I think the clubs do work quite well together. You know, from a from a pre academy perspective, or if we're, you know, now if at Fulham, if, if we know we're potentially um, releasing players, or we've got players who we think might be, we know who might be suitable for them, then you know, we we'll call them up and say, look, this player, we think they might be suitable for for you guys. Like, you know, we're happy to send them your way. So I think, you know, as much as possible, I do think there is. A bit of a collaborative nature between, you know, potentially between the clubs. Interesting. And um, so then, tell us about your, your your when you got a job at Fulham. How did that come about? Yeah. So I'd, I'd obviously I was already working the foundation, I suppose, and I'd already I was already probably quite known to, to certain people. The club's quite small, so you know, walking around and doing whatever, you, you sort of meet these meet people and have conversations and stuff, and then. Um, I remember playing Fulham with AFC Wimbledon and 
and um, you know, from I, looking back at the game, looking at the game, is actually you know, I think they had some really great individuals for them, but we, we ended up winning the game. I think we played quite well. Um, as you know, we played quite well. I think it's probably a little bit unexpected. You know, we played out from the back. We still did those things that we really wanted to do. Um, so I suppose it just that that meant the conversation got put forward. I suppose. Um, so yeah, just just got asked. I think there was I had a couple of friends who, some of my closest friends who worked worked in the academy already, and it was like you know sort of like you know when when you're coming over, like you know we think you're a good coach, so when there's an opportunity we'll let you know um, and for me at the time I, I don't I think the only reason I probably I only the, the, the reason I left really was just a different challenge I, I certainly wanted to be able to challenge myself and work with players who potentially you know were representing their country or um, just wanted to challenge myself with you know those really elite players I suppose that maybe only saying that none of them exist in Cat 3 clubs, I don't think that's true, but you know, there's certainly more in, in Cat 1s and um, then also just probably tied everything a bit closer together from, I was already working the foundation there, <laughs> it meant I didn't have to do, you know, the the Superman kit change in the car between, between sessions, you know, on, on the way back from, from one to the other, so yeah, just sort of tied everything up, so I actually went in, um, had an interview and originally got asked to, to take the under nine so I was shifting from 13s and 14s to come across to, to be an under nines coach and I've never really looked at age groups in sort of a hierarchical fashion so for me that was that was fine it was just a different challenge it was just a new challenge um, and then I think I did like one or two sessions with the nines and then got asked to do the 14s so I was either a hopeless foundation phase coach um, or they thought that I was appropriate maybe to work with some older players so um, interesting. Yeah. And, and just I mean just for just one just sorry to yeah. butt in there mate just it's interesting you you know I get this question a lot from people listening to podcasts saying you know how can I get into an academy into academy football so just thinking yeah. about your journey there I mean you've worked at two great clubs and they were at Fulham one of the best academies in the country it's like how, you know did you I mean you, you talk about you, you know, the networking that's really important and obviously working the foundation of a club was also I mean that's how I made my entrance into academy football as well do you think that's a real you know a powerful tool do you recommend people do that if they're thinking about trying to get involved in academy football yeah 100% I think um, no, I, I, I get it all the time with, with you know my students at university I think academy football is like put on this pillar um, one without really an appreciation of the reality of working in the academy i.e. you're going to be working in evenings and weekends and you're going to be you know, you're probably going to be working seven days a week, um, and there's also this thing where I think they think they've that it's just that's the natural progression. Like, right, I've I've done my B license, so you know, where's my academy job? Um, and I think they miss out this. You know, I don't know an academy coach who hasn't had years and years of exposure to different experiences. You know, when I was a student at university, I used to. Uh, carry a bag of footballs intellectual with me and then when it got to like three o'clock I used to leave and go and do an after school club somewhere in London you know I didn't I'd be on the train going somewhere to to do a session um, so I think massively you've got, you've got to go out there and you've you've got to gain some gain some experiences and and appreciate that each of those will have different value for different reasons um, for you so I think people go you know I've done that I've 
you know, I've worked in the foundation for a year, I've done after school clubs, you know, I, I, that's me done. It's like, well, that whole sort of cliche, you know, have you had the same experience of over and over again, really? Or, you know, is it actually, have you actually been learning? Have you been reflecting? Have you been trying new things? I think that's really important. I suppose it's that combination, isn't it? I mean, it's like the rites of passage sort of, isn't it? For a coach, you've got to do those, you know, like I did, those after school clubs, those mixed ability sessions. But then obviously, then the key is then, you know, making uh, those connections, getting known that then, you know, as you, as you know, academy football is still nepotistic in terms, you know, it's, you know, it's about relationships because it's a very stressful environment. So, you know, you've got to, often people are encouraged to, encourage you to, to apply for jobs and they're often filled before they actually go out. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's and I think that's natural, right? I think, if, but I also think people are only gonna, um, from a networking perspective, people are only gonna put you forward for things if they think you're good enough to do them. Um, and I think that's the other important thing. I think people, you know, so oh, you know, it, it's, I think I was even guilty of it originally, going, oh yeah, it's just who you know. Um, uh, there's probably an element of that, but there's also an element of you've got to be good enough as you've got to be good enough as well yeah um, I, I, th- I think you made a good point there when you talked about you know your team played Fulham and you know you, if they pre- played really well they won but not necessarily you know the, the, the win but the, the manner of the win and that's what I think yeah. you know you, you, that's what I say you know you sort of make your own luck right I mean you, your, uh, your, 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 your work speaks for itself so people see your session see how your team plays see what the players are like your, your coach and then that's like your, they're like your walking CVs right yeah course yeah no, I completely agree interesting so then tell us a little bit then you know you, you you're moving into Fulham uh, cat one club one of the best academies in the country massive club uh, what was the, what the, the main obvious contrast you saw it to begin with yeah I think um, probably just um, we have some like really clear goals and we have some, like really clear processes and structures in place to help achieve those goals and I think um, that process is definitely something that I, I'm always really impressed by. So p- people talk about sort of plan, do, review, but each element of those is really, um, of that process is really well thought through and really purposeful. Um, and then I suppose having a, a clear idea about what it is that we want to achieve, how we might go about doing that, and then ultimately the ability to continue to reflect and strategize and um, understand that that's constantly evolving um, with some really good people in place to help achieve that um, so then to, to, give, to give us an example then of your planning what goes into into planning your sessions for instance you work as a as a phase or individually or what's, yes, what's the process uh, yeah I think the you know from, from that sort of micro level from in terms of planning I think um, you know we we involve like multidisciplinary team and I think you know there's always um, there's definitely room to improve that but it's a continued emphasis to go you know we're gonna we're gonna include all departments and we're gonna really try and individualize and tailor our planning for for the individual players that we work with Um, and as a consequence I think you know that means you have multiple people's um, sort of input and, and opinions to for that constantly evolving plan I think we we try to do that you know certainly don't do it session to session we have an awareness of what that might look like over time Um, and then ultimately it's our ability to go and go and do that and then but then like I say be able to review that and appreciate why what's worked what might not have worked what are the reasons for that um, what are some of those causal factors for the 
for the fact that you know this is seemed to have really worked for this person um, at this time, but it didn't for this these players. So you know why was that? Um, and maybe just asking some of those more sort of deeper lying questions rather than just you know surface level. How was your session today? It was more it's more around okay you know are we making impact with these players? Yes or no? And, and how do we know those things as well? And, and Mitch, so for instance, you know, with your planning, uh, you talked about obviously not going from session to session, but how much was it in terms of uh, you working on a, on a long-term or middle-term plan and how much was, say, for instance, you played a game on, you play a game on the weekend and some, you say, wow, you know, we really got to address that. Do you then shift that? Is it more reactionary like that or is it a bit of both? How does that work? Yes, I think there's, there's flexibility in, 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 the, in our sort of syllabus or, or framework for you to be able to address those issues. I think, like, Good advice sort of always been given is if there's an elephant in the room then you need to address it um, so if there's something that's really blatantly obvious then then you might have an, you know you might go right I'm gonna have to do that but, but don't necessarily think you have to like throw your throw your syllabus out the window I think you just it's just where you you're a little bit clever and and how you use your coaching team so you know if you're then moving you know if you I don't know. We had a real problem with our press at the, the, you know, the weekend, and actually we're moving into creating convert block. Well, it definitely means that one of us can, one of the coaching team can work with the out possession team on some of the things, those reactionary things, whilst still within, you know, the other coach can still work within the framework. So I think it's just a balance. Um, but it's also, I suppose, around um, what we, what do you think is important for you at the time? Um, there's always going to be intended outcomes, but there'll also be unintended outcomes from what you do. Um, so if, you, if, if you're, you know, you, you plan to do one thing and you want your outcomes to be this, this and this, but actually that might mean as a consequence you haven't dealt with those things. So I think there's constantly trade-offs. I think it's just the way in which you reflect on those and, you know, whether you, were, if you intended it to be as a larger trade-off as you first thought, perhaps. And... Um so tell us in a bit, what's the average week like for an under-15 then at Fulham? Yeah, so um, full, full, if you're a full-time player, um, that'll mean you know, some sort of training every day apart from, apart from Fridays. Um, Tuesday and Thursday being sort of the main day release sessions and then evening sessions as well. Um, but you also come in for sort of an hour, hour and a half or so on a, a Monday and a Wednesday. And so, I mean, so they so they have two days off school. They do two days day release, and then they come in for the yeah. So yeah, so sort of after school for an hour and a half or so on a Monday and Wednesday, and then yeah, in the afternoons they'll come out um, sort of full day release in the afternoons on a, on a Tuesday and Thursday, and then yeah, evening sessions as well. Um, and then 15s is always that sort of odd age group where lots of players will play up for the 16s. So. Um, you know, we'll, we'll probably we normally now like combine together, 15s and 16s to train together on a Thursday evening, um, and then yeah, some of those will be involved on a Saturday. We we, we typically have tried to um, sort of make a conscious decision this year, particularly after Christmas, to, to have less Sunday games for the 15s, um, so that are available for selection for the 16s, and and have more sort of midweek games like internal games. Um, which is supported by you know the competitions that they play anyway. They play in a midweek floodlit cup as well. So you know we've been try try to be quite conscious of the fact that we want to try and expose this particularly this group to 16s football as much as we can as, as early as we can.
Interesting. And then so tell us a little bit about how then you structure your week. What's you know the the technical, tactical, you know, average cycle for a week? Yeah, I mean, I suppose tech tack breakdown really depends. Um, we have uh, we have scheduled sort of individual practice opportunities for the players. I suppose that's where maybe that more traditional, arguably people, you know, would call it that decontextualised. They'll be doing practice on their own. Um, around some of their their targets, and that that's pretty, you know, that's far more sort of technical repetition than anything else in the week. So we'll have that 45 minutes plus. We'll do like a, a position specific on a Saturday morning as well, um, sort of half an hour. So they're like they're probably their two slots where they'll get the most technical repetition, and then within the framework of the rest of the week, that will just vary. So. You have full scope to be able to design practices the way you want to. So, you know, in your hour and a half session, what that looks like is entirely up to the coaching team. Um, but it will also be dependent on physical load as well. So we'll have quite purposefully planned tight and technical nights, um, like medium nights and then large and tactical nights based on their like physical loading throughout the weekend depending on where their sort of games sit um, and that sort of prescribes you in the syllabus so you'll have your like main like theme from the philosophy and then you'll have like the, the area basically that you want to try and work in and then we're really conscious that we so we use like technology to be able to track GPS so we, we try to as much as possible have an awareness of like, the physical load that our sessions have and then what that looks like through the week. Um, and, and that, I suppose that's that will also impact the type of practices that you put on. Interesting. And um, what? Who, tell us about the under fifteen coaching team. Do you work? Is there? I mean, is there another coach involved? You obviously work the sports scientist. Yeah. So um, I, I'm as the head coach. I don't necessarily have like a fixed assistant. Um, the under 16s coach will. will work with me quite heavily because you know, ultimately most of the time now particularly now you know we do a lot of stuff 15 16 together a lot of the 15s will play up um ydp phase manager will also come and support um and then obviously the the multidisciplinary team in terms of strength conditioning coach you know psychologist um you know nutritionist sports scientists you know physios whatever else so yeah we all we'll all work together and um it's quite nice, I suppose. Probably from again, that's, that's the big difference between clubs is, like I say, resource but also personnel. So being able to, you know, went to sixty-six one a couple of weeks ago. Had a you know psychologist for the phase came with us, and I think that's really that was really um, really important, really, because we talk about um, you know these opportunities for the players to learn in these like competitive situations and. Um, I don't necessarily know if we actually help them develop the skills that they need to within those settings. So to have somebody whose like main focus is that, I think, is really, really positive. I was going to ask one of my questions about competitive football. Do you think? Yeah. Um, do you think the boys at fifteen play enough competitive football? Yeah, I think. Um, I think. I mean, it completely depends on how successful you are, right? I mean, if you if you do well, then you've got sort of one major competition that goes throughout the year, um, which is Flutterlit Cup, which is a, is a really great concept. I think Premier League have done really well to, to have to develop this idea to be able to go and play 
you know, midweek under the lights. Often, you know, the requirement is for you to play in, you know, stadiums or, you know, we play ours on our arena pitch or 23s pitch. So, um, you know, that, 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 that exposure, that, that sort of additional pressure is really, really positive. And we always see it every year. Um, the sort of first Sunday Cup game with those boys, they're sort of in awe. They don't really know how to manage their emotions. And they're quite anxious because, you know, the stand's filled with their parents. The parents have brought, you know, four or five people with them because it's this like, really great moment for them. But, um, yeah, you know, if you, if, you, if you do well in that competition, obviously you have far greater exposure to it. So, um, I mean, that's, that's, that was going to be my, my next follow-up is that, obviously, at, you talk, I mean, as we know, those environments are so different for players and for coaches. Um, yeah. Do you think that maybe there could be opportunity to play a little bit more? I mean, obviously, you know, for instance, on the continent, there's a lot more competitive football. Do you think maybe yeah. that, you know, because like you say, the psychologists will tell you that it's such a different environment, those coping mechanisms, do you think maybe we leave it a little bit too late to get the boys into competitive football? Yeah, I just think Regularly, it's Regularly, I mean, that, you know, that, that, that yeah, would be regular. Yeah, I think it's a balance. I think um, we, when we go on tour in, in summer, we, we always say we go, we go on tour to win. Um, and we have that, I suppose, that added um, focus, which means we have a little bit more, you know, we, we do a little bit more in the syllabus around game management and sort of management strategies. So I think for a Cat 1 team, you probably have it, you probably do manage to have that exposure a fair amount because, you know, you're involved in these Premier League competitions, you go on, you know, several tours throughout the year. I suppose the, the if you're a Cat 2 or Cat 3 team, to, to be able to, to have that might be a little bit, must be far more challenging. And I, know, I, I believe, you know, your standard sort of Sunday morning academy games at times can be really sanitised. It can be quite a sterile environment. Um, you know, parents parents aren't allowed to like, you know, they're not really, you know, they're very, they're very sort of pinned back, aren't they? You know, um, although they're allowed to encourage the team, you don't necessarily shout. And if you go to a tournament, all of a sudden you go, you know, to Germany or, or somewhere else in Europe and you've got parents banging on drums and singing the club songs. It's like got, a really different environment. Yeah, the no, Polish, Polish parents letting off flares, the uh, Poznan parents going crazy with flares and stuff. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, you know, how, I mean, we, our boys would never, ever have anything exposed to that. And I think we are beginning to try to um, develop, like, I think, you know, develop some of this stuff. But we went to, you know, went to a 5v, uh, sorry, 6v6 tournament the 15s in January and was piloted for the first time. The tournament was great. Um, you know, everything about the tournament was fantastic. But there was no, you know, there was hardly any parents there. There wasn't much of an atmosphere, um, and I think, you know, I don't know how you, well, I don't have the answers. I don't know how you create those environments or ask people to. But I think there's definitely scope to, you know, try and develop more stuff where you know the environment's a little bit harsher, it's a little bit tougher. It maybe matches the reality a bit closer. Yeah, I, I've definitely found that when I was uh, towards my last years at Chelsea that with the increased amount of, for instance, futsal tournaments, lots of different tournaments, there's definitely an improvement in terms of getting the boys in those competitive environments a lot. But I always just felt when we went abroad and played, you know, the likes of Ajax and Anderlecht, they're like, their game management and game savviness was just so much better because obviously they play so many tournaments a year. You know, they can play like 20 or 30 tournaments a year. So I just thought that's, that's one advantage those, those foreign boys had over ours, maybe. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think... Um and also, I think they're not—you um, know—they're not afraid to, to say 
they want to win um, either. Do you know what I mean? They go to those competitions, they they want to win them, and uh, they act in a way. I think they the way that they behave, you know, whether it's right or wrong from a coach's perspective, but it's quite clear that they're passionate about results and winning. You know, they want to win, um, and I don't know. I think sometimes we get caught up, particularly in you know, in, in various concepts. I think. I think it's it's we get to this point where it's like, oh, you know, I don't want, I'm, I'm not worried about whether we win or lose. Um, you know, it's just about the performance. But you know, the purpose of the game is to beat the opposition. That's you know, that's why that's why we do it. Um, so I think sometimes that can be a little bit devalued at times. Um, I think it should be we should feel more comfortable with going. Do you know what? It's, we want to win. You know, and that's yeah. um, and that's that's because that's the purpose. Um, the purpose is to outwit your opponent. Interesting, yeah, and and also then tell us a bit about that that 15s year. I mean, it's quite a, a challenging year for the players, isn't it? I mean, it's a big decision time for the players and the clubs. How do you cope? You know, support those players through that. I mean, you know, and because obviously when you obviously must start making your decisions. I mean, I suppose all, all the way year round. But I mean, you know, players are getting released. How do you support those guys? And if they've been in the system from nine years old, for instance. Yeah, I think. Um the first thing is is my my role first and foremost is to coach those players. Um, so I don't, I certainly don't at the beginning of the season try to, you know, I'll start with a clean clean slate so to speak. Although you know you get the, you know, reports from the coaches from the previous years. You've just seen them in previous years. You know, I think we have you have to fully appreciate that things aren't linear. So you know, just because they didn't perform particularly well at fourteens doesn't mean they were fifteen. So. First thing is to try to give every player an opportunity to be able to, um, you know, a develop themselves, but also be given the, the opportunity, be afforded opportunities where, you know, that they can really show off what they're about. And um, I think that's my first thing. Is just that level of care, I suppose, has to be. I try to try to make it as apparent as, as possible. You know, I, I really care about sort of every player that I have that. I'm giving them, and for me, my sort of perfect, um, perfect goal would be to have every single one transition into the next, you know, next age group or next phase. So I think that's like the first thing, and then just have to be really, have to be really honest. Um, and I think that, I, you know, really apparent about what, you know, have really clear messages about what players need to get better at, and that has to be, you know, that has to come from everybody who will be. You know, ultimately making making decisions, right? So if people think that a player needs to get better at this for these for these reasons, then that I think that has to be really have to be really honest about that. Um, and then I think it's also from a coach's perspective, it's also important to, to like I say, effectively plan, but also effectively review. So I think it's really important to to continually just challenge some of your assumptions so you know if you think players need to get better at this a certain thing well how much exposure to that have they had you know and is that backed up by minutes in positions on the pitch is that backed up by what you've done in training you know you know is there actually is the link between what you think you've done and what you've actually done you know tight enough are you self-aware enough to you know really go you know I've provided this player with these uh, these opportunities. They played this many minutes in this position. They've had this, you know, many training sessions on this target. You know, and then far more in a more robust position to be able to, and a more informed position to make decisions than potentially 
potentially not. And I think it's also about effective uh, tracking of stuff. So, you know, I think it's important to have, you know, analysts who clips clip their targets. I think it's important to understand, you know, the statistics from an individual perspective, you know, and, and try and just challenge maybe some of the assumptions that, that take place. If, you know, you know, he doesn't get around the pitch particularly well. Okay, so what's his GPS statistics then? How do they relate to the rest of the group and actually have some objective stuff to back up maybe some of the more subjective assumptions that you have for players. It's quite interesting. I mean, that's a good example of that, isn't it? I, I often had that in the past when they say, oh, for instance, you know, he doesn't get around the pitch very well. What are we, you, know, you talked about this accountability, isn't it? What are we actually do to try and help him improve in that area? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you said, I was thought an academy, did we really, you know, do everything possible to... You know, that's a good example, isn't it? Can we really help someone in that area? And what exactly are they doing in terms of like movement development, that sort of stuff? Yeah, I completely agree. I think you have to, you know, if, you, if you're willing to uh, make such big decisions, you have to be able to back those up with, with you know, with with your practice. Interesting. And so, look, I mean, so obviously you you work at St Mary's, you're a lecturer at St Mary's, you're an academic in football. Uh, there's not that many academics in, in the game, is there really? I mean, in terms of why, why do you think that is? Why maybe there's not that many people from academia within football? You still hear me, mate? Yeah, can you hear me? Sorry, we just broke up. Fine, yeah, yeah, no problem. Did you hear the question? Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah, no, I think, um, I, I certainly think that uh, there's probably more people who start off as coaches who then find themselves in academia rather than maybe the other way around, which, um, you know, I know a couple of people who, you know, they start off as coaches, want to become better coaches, and therefore, um, sort of the route we people go down is just to try and become as informed as possible, and therefore, you know, fall into fall into becoming slightly maybe more more academic. I definitely do think that there's um, sort of them and maybe a them and us culture where I think certain people will, um, you know, talk about researchers, talk about. You know, academics talk, talk about authors of papers and almost think that they're sort of ivory tower academics and I think they're, they're massively constrained particularly with potentially the way in which they have to write um, that makes it not particularly accessible for, for for coaches right or particularly people who haven't been to you know haven't been through an education system so I think they have a, there is a great responsibility for maybe academics to be able to um, synthesize some complex like concepts and theories so that they're able to be interpreted by people in a slightly easier fashion and I do think that's beginning to happen more regularly um, you know if you go on Twitter there's so much roots you know so much sources of information you can follow key academics you can people you know podcasts such as this and, and uh, you know people do webinars and, you know there's all this information I think just the ability to be able to actually present it in a format that actually people can really engage with is the real real skill. I think there are certain few, you know a few people who do that really well. Um, but then I think it, you know flip that and I think there's a responsibility from coaches as well. I think you know as a coach you, you have to want to engage with information. I don't think it's necessary. You know, don't know a job out there where you you know you ever just get to the top of the mountain and go well, that's me that's me done. I'm you know I'm in this senior position. I'm or I'm CEO of this organisation, or I'm a manager of this organisation. You just, you know, cross your arms. Think continually looking to get better. Um, so there has to be a has to be a two-way street. I think um, I think that is beginning to happen maybe slightly more. But 
I suppose the challenge is, is also is that time, right? You, it's really difficult to to do all of those things, you know, your job, your coaching role, invest time in your own sort of understanding and learning and trying to combine those things can be quite challenging. And, and I know we've had this conversation in the past, um, why, why do you think there's such um, you know, an imbalance between some of the research and, and practice what goes on the ground? You mentioned obviously that at AFC Wimbledon they used to have isolated practice there. Why do you think there's yeah. that sort of conflict almost that, you know, between some of the research coming out and actually what goes on in the actual, in, in the field? Yes, I think there's certain, uh, I certainly think that there's certain um, narratives that are potentially pushed. Um, I, d- I definitely think that we're, I think it just, it takes a long time for maybe for uh, either practice to catch up with, with research or vice versa. I don't ever think they're particularly harmonious. Um, and I think it's, that that's a challenge. I think what we need to begin to establish is maybe um, more like nuanced pictures of what's going on in specific contexts and begin to understand actually what's going on in this in these specific coaching contexts rather than making like generalizable like statements across lots of different clubs. Um, you know, actually spending um, you know spending time at a club, understanding what's going on. Uh, how that relates to what they're trying to achieve is it evidence informed does it is it is it working and actually is in contrary to the evidence I think um, those things are really important well what's, uh, what's, what's your thoughts I mean obviously then coming from <clears throat> working in both academia and football I mean you mentioned yeah. that you came from university in a very much game based approach I mean what's your what's your thoughts on that now yeah I think I think um, there's no there's no like silver bullet right there's no um there's no one way to do anything, and I think um, you know you can can read lots of different lots of different things, particularly from a practice perspective. It's, every context is going to be different. Every um, you know, there's a completely different sort of ecology in each in each context. There's you know different people, different resources. The goals are different, you know, um, and and that's always so. That means everything's always going to be context. You know, it's always going to be context specific. So it completely depends. I think that's like well, probably what I've just said. Then has become quite a fashionable uh, statement. So like, it depends. It depends on context and stuff. And I think because of that, people we, we probably don't then go, okay. So what's actually going on there then? So like, okay, it depends. What does it depend on? Who, for who, why? You know, and begin to actually establish what works for which players, and at what time and why. I think if we can begin to start to have an appreciation of that, maybe we can begin to be more aware of, you know, what potentially might be, you know, effective coaching practice moving forward. So I'm, I was at, on the Advanced Youth Award at uh, St George's Park, and a really amazing course, great course. We had Mark Williams in, who's obviously one of the sports scientists who's uh, very much pushes this narrative. Uh, he was that he's and he was arguing that under nine should be playing eleven side football because it's the closest thing to the actual game. But that was like my my thinking process there is that actually maybe that's the disconnect between someone who maybe has not been on the field and understands the different needs, particularly for young players, and maybe yeah. understanding you getting different sorts of outcomes from different sorts of things. I mean, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I think it's a real challenge. I think you know, I think we to be able to have um, that contextual understanding whilst being able to have the appreciation of you know all of this like concept complex theories and stuff to be able to then 
you know, construct this, this art, these ideas. I think, that, like you say, that, that, that connection needs to happen more. So whether that means that they spend more time in, in the field and have a greater appreciation of, you know, why people are doing certain things um, for those players, you know, for those under nine players, but also be able to maybe take the idea that, you know, why is it he thinks that, you know, playing 11 aside is the most, you know, is, is the thing that's like, that they should be doing or what is it about those things and how can we then like take some of those ideas and then maybe input them into what we do. I suppose it's that, it's that two way, two way, uh, street that I maybe was like talking about earlier. I think, um, you know, be great to, it'd be great to understand why, you know, he thought those, that was, that was the sort of answer for those players. Well, I, I, think. Well, I suppose it's the, you know, it's almost the extremist sort of everything that has to be in that, contextualised setting everything has to be within the game everything completely otherwise anything else is completely uh, untransferable you know non-transferable or a waste of time almost I mean that was, that was the sort of message but that's what I mean you know you said earlier it depends you know and Dave Collins obviously talks about that a lot as well there's no one way but I suppose it's just for me it's just about having a balance right and understanding you know what what players needs are for me especially with the stuff like you know hear a lot about the perception action coupling also talking about contextualization for me it's the the importance of a, an individual player an individual boy an eight-year-old boy spending time with the ball understanding how that reacts and those decision making things that are going on there are infinite they're, they're always going on and might be you know less than maybe if i'm playing in a game but for me those decision making on the ball is much more important at that young age what's what's your thoughts on that yeah, I, I mean, I, I completely, you know, I completely agree, agree with you. I think there's a, I think it's about having an appreciation of what you think is important, um, and then being able to transfer that into your practice for those individuals, right? So, there might be people out there who have a different opinion to the one you've just presented, and they might say, you know, I think at that time, for that foundation phase player, awareness is the most important thing, and that's okay. But then, how does your practice? actually help develop awareness and how much of what you do is connected to that idea. Um, I don't think we can we can ever neglect either or. I don't think you can go, right, well, we're only ever going to do games. And I think I think if you, I think, you know, I, I came from a, like I said, come from an undergraduate where the sort of rhetoric around games was, was pushed quite highly. And I think, you know, that, that served me to say, I think I have the ability to be able to create a game that has the same outcomes as, you know, would be able to give players the same outcomes that maybe I couldn't achieve in a technical technical practice. And that might just be my own experiences and my own, um, you know, my own preferences and my own abilities as a coach. If I was really effective at designing really good technical practices, I don't think that's then something to like sneer nose up at, and I don't think it's we can go on. Oh, you must be doing this. I just think it's about having an appreciation of what, where you, where you're comfortable, and where you think you can make impact. And I think if you can design really good technical practices, and you've got really good technical knowledge, and you think you, you know, and, and you can make real impact with those players, and definitely, definitely don't then go, oh well, I'm being told I've got to do. You know, I've got told I've got to be coaching through games. It's like, well, not necessarily, and you know, I don't necessarily buy into this idea that you know it'll be, oh, at least you know this person giving games a go will be better than what they were doing before. Um, 
I, th- I think there's definitely a balance to be struck. Well, I, mean, I, I think that's for me, it's all about balance, right? I mean, if I was looking at my academy sessions, I'd do, you know, 10 or 20 minutes ball work, you know, and then everything would be in a game setting. So, you know, for me, it's like a, you know, as a practitioner, I definitely, you know, looked at the research and changed the way I coach in my 10 years in academy football, a lot more game-based stuff. I, I prefer small-sided games formats. I think get, well, you do get more skillful outcomes, but still for me, that individual time with the ball is really key. And I suppose it's just about it's about trying to think about the most effective time to use it and when players can get on it, right? Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's then, and then it's. I think the thing that you've just sort of almost given away there is that you have um, developed quite a reflective like capacity. You've gone right. Well, this is why this is what I do, what I do, and this is why I do it. And I think that's ultimately the responsibility for sort of coach education and coach developers moving forward is just to develop more sort of reflective practitioners rather than just being sort of passively engaged in maybe some of these more, uh, these other accounts that, or these other narratives that get pushed forwards, you know, like, oh, you, you must coach through games, you must use constraints, you know, this is what we want you to do. And actually, just have a more of a reflective capacity about what it is that you do, why you do it, and then what impact that's having on the players that you coach. I think you made the great point earlier, just we've got a you know, have a plan, you're doing something for a reason, you'd be able to legitimise what you're doing and, you know, be doing that with an end goal in mind. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and I think um, that rationalisation is where, you know, where I think more work needs to, to take place. I think people, we just need to be more aware of why we're doing what we're doing, ultimately, and then consequently what the impact is. So, I mean, so how, how much you took technical work will you do with your players? I mean... In, in that where you talked about them doing the 45 minute session and I mean will you do any ever, ever take someone out of a game setting if you think they want to they want to work on something um, I think I, I always try to I mean I'm I suppose my I work with maybe slightly older players I think I always would I'm, I'm quite sympathetic to what the, play, the players need so if the player turns to me and goes you know what I would really want to I'm really struggling to do this can I have, get more practice doing it or I will just um, I suppose it's just that ability to be able to construct practices that have lots of opportunity for them to, to practice. Um, that's sort of probably, you know, that concept of sort of repetition without repetition. But if I can design a, a practice where I know I can get lots of, they can have lots of uh, opportunity to practice their specific target, um, I think, and I think it's the balance. So then I don't want to like completely demoralize them. So if it's something they really can't do, you know, how can I also scaffold that so that, you know, I can move sort of complexity up and down so the, the success that they're achieving in the practice is also, like, isn't, isn't always, you know, it's not always out of reach, you know, they are getting some success. And then if the player then goes, you know, I really want to work on this, this and this, okay, all right, well, let's go and do it, I think. So, I mean, um, so within that session, are you relying on self-correction then? On those, on those, so for instance, you have a player who's, you know, yeah. a wide player who's having problems crossing, for instance. You set up yeah. a, a practice to have lots of crossing opportunities. I mean, yeah. uh, are you relying on him just to try and figure that no. out? No, I don't or? think uh, it's really important, right? We, we have a set of outcomes, we design our practice, you know, we structure our practice in a certain way. And then the next thing that's really important is our coach behaviours. I think, again, maybe with this sort of naive interpretation of maybe the narrative that's being pushed is that the coach sort of just steps back and it doesn't do anything. I think uh, you're there to help and support the players. Um, so it's your, your understanding of how 
you can behave in a way in which will help and support them. And that might mean for some players being, like you say, it might, might be that you don't, you know, you give them less information because, um, you know, they might not, they don't particularly, they want to try and work it out for themselves. They're highly motivated to try and work it out for themselves. And you might just offer, you know, a few cues um, and triggers and, and some uh, bits of information. Or you might, you know, and you might at times be really, I might be really direct with players, you know. Um, I have no, have, I think it's about, again, trying to work out what, what behaviours are best for your individual and at that time um, and and have an appreciation of how also that might be affected by some of the other stuff that, that's going on, right? So Yeah, I suppose let's go back to that, you know, depends on the uh, the individual, right? Yeah, definitely. But I think you, you have to be willing to, to be able to, to try lots of different things to like talk to your players in lots of different ways, to try and engage your players in, in different ways. But I definitely don't think, I think people maybe then become a little bit um, scared. And I see it a lot with, with students, you know, like scared to go in and, and coach, you know, and coach people and go and help people and go and support people and yeah. um, ultimately talk to people. It's like the last thing that probably we, we managed to develop, like, you know, through our, through our degree, like we have some, we have, they come up with some great practices. Honestly, like um, the most creative thinkers when it when it comes to practice design, and then but they're so reluctant to go and actually talk to people, go and help people, go and support people, um, and you know that that very much for me is like trial and error. It's like going to get to know people, go and see how they respond when you talk to them, um, and I think that's you know that that takes time. Ultimately, it's about developing relationships, but you have to be willing to go and give different things a go as well. Okay, and then just finally, what's, what would your advice be for a young aspiring coach who wants to try and get into academy football like yourself? Uh, I think I think it's just a, a blend of as many different experiences that you can possibly possibly do. Like, don't say no to things because you don't think they'll have value because they they might. Um, you know, go and take on different sessions sessions. Go and take on different challenges. Go and work with different people, um, different groups of different ages. Um, you know, uh, completely different people, right? Like different genders, whatever. Go and work with loads of different people in loads of different contexts. Um, but then try and, as much as possible, reflect on what you do. Um, I always go back, always tell my students that, you know, I had a planned every, for a year, I planned every after school club and reflected on every after school club I ever did. I was on the train, I wasn't doing anything, it was like dead time. So it's like, right, I'm going to and then create some more ideas and then generate some more ideas. It's just so important that you go through that sort of plan, do review cycle and have like, spend quality time reflecting on, on why you've done what you've done, what was the impact, you know, who did it work for, but yeah, go, go and get out there. And then also engaging, engaging as much like uh, sort of formal, you know, and informal learning as you possibly can, I think. Like there's, there's, never, there's never a time where that stops. Um, you have to be willing to, to give up your time to go and go and appreciate some of these these stuff. And you might go, you know, you might you might go to certain things, and and you there's always something that you might pick up, even if it's even if it's you just developing your like critical understanding of something. You know, you're always gonna you're always gonna gain something. So I think it's really important that um, you know just pretty much just go and like go and get on the grass, basically, go and put the effort in. Fantastic. Tom, thanks very much, mate. It's been fantastic. Appreciate your time. No problem. Thanks for tuning in to the mypersonalfootballcoach.com soccer player development podcast. 
MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Dynamic Ball Mastery Program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.